Lately, the industry chatter about patient engagement has increased. Clients ask me to advise about patient engagement. What is patient engagement? How can we increase patient engagement? Is patient engagement worth it? Where do we find people to engage? What's the business case for engagement? As time passes, my thoughts and advice changes, and frankly, I find myself at a loss to advise, even though I say patient engagement is my passion. Engagement from whose point of view? To what purpose? A person engaged in their health. Well, isn't everyone engaged in their health? My symptoms affect me. I'm in pain. I can't function as I'd like to. I'm sad. I'm anxious. I react. I manage. Or I don't. I can accept, deny, adapt. I suffer. I advocate. I overcome. Maybe it's my parents' health or my partner's or my child's. It's all engagement. I'm engaged in my health. A clinician engages in their patient's health. My neurologist says he's an expert in what works related to treatments and therapeutics for populations of people with multiple sclerosis, but he doesn't know crap about me and my life. He wants to learn about what's important to me and my basic habits and circumstances, transportation, finances, culture, spiritual values, my family, my hobbies, my exercise, diet. He's engaged in my health. A patient engaged by adhering to their clinician's prescriptions and medical plans? Indeed, that's a paternalistic and common view of engagement. I'm engaged when I follow all instructions, whether I understand them, can afford them, can get them. Patients engage in governance, design, operations, and learning about medical care delivery, policy, research, technology, business... People at the center of care, that's patients, direct care clinicians, and the people that support them, sit at decision and learning tables like boards, advisory councils, departmental meetings, product design sessions, and insurance company business meetings. Well, lately my focus has shifted to the engagement of communities neighborhoods, towns, virtual communities, diagnosis-based communities, any kind of community. Communities engaged in best health for the residents and members. My guest today is Dr. Kirsten Meisinger. Dr. Meisinger is an international expert on patient-centered medical homes and healthcare system transformation. She was national faculty co-chair for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services initiative, Transforming Clinical Practice Initiatives, an initiative which transformed over 140,000 U.S. practices to value-based patient-centered medical care. She was co-chair of the National Health Equity Collaboration and a member of the Expert Panel for Healthcare Homes Initiative in Australia. Currently, she is helping design and implement a national pilot for primary care in the private sector in Brazil. 
Dr. Meisinger is Director of Provider Engagement, Regional Medical Director, and Medical Director of Sexual and Reproductive Health and Operations Lead for Telehealth at the Cambridge Health Alliance, CHA. She cares for an active family medicine panel at the Union Square Family Health Center, an award-winning patient-centered medical home practice that was selected as one of the top 30 ambulatory care sites by, in the U.S. by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged cisgender old white man of privilege who knows a little about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of health care. Let's make some sense of all of this. Kirsten. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We met at the, was it the Patient Experience Conference, I think. It was. And I was really interested. Actually, (laughs) I was disappointed when I met you, but not for the reason you think. It was because I went to your session because I was really interested to hear about community engagement in the development of telehealth practices. And I felt you might have spent two minutes on that. And not that the rest of it wasn't interesting, but that's what drew me in. And so could you introduce yourself and and tell me a little bit about what it is you do? Sure. It sounds to me like what we're really going to do now is just finish that conversation that is annoyingly started but never finished at that presentation. So I am Dr. Kirsten Meisinger. I'm a family uh, physician, and I have been at the Cambridge Health Alliance now for 22 years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah. So let's see. And what does that mean? That means that I am am your family doctor, uh, and I can take care of anyone in your family. And I do pretty much anything that comes up. You you usually come to me first and then we figure out together what makes sense to do next, which is really fun. I have to say, because it's been so long, I have so many families my kids have grown up with and they're often at the same schools and having the same experiences. Many of my patients were not born in the U.S. and don't speak English. And I often don't speak English, which is also really fun. I have learned Portuguese because of my job. And Uh, so many of my patients actually were not born in the United States. And I learned Portuguese as part of my medical practice because it was a lot easier, I realized, to speak your language than it was to work with interpreters. So I came into medicine speaking Spanish and a few other languages, but really now speak Portuguese most of the time, which is great. I also have a lot of patients from Nepal which I just love. So I I get this amazing cultural worldwide experience when I walk into my office every day, which has been part of the inspiration actually for the work I think we're going to talk about, which is trying to understand how to best serve 
the patients that I care so deeply about and how to have a medical system that is not in any way familiar to them. And even if it it is familiar to them, often doesn't make any sense actually help uh, serve them and not uh, have them, I think, be sacrificed unnecessarily by so many of the things that I know you have experienced, I've experienced. And that's a very joyful, I think, day to day. I'm quite a happy person, it turns out. So you also are the director of provider engagement. What does that mean? So engagement is a a kind of a funny term, but I think people have kind of settled on it to mean do you like to come to work? When you come, do you give your back? And in the service to a business, to me, it, it's a little bit, strikes me as a funny paradigm, right? Like I have to show up to work. I have to be confident. I don't have to, like, what's, what is it your business that if I love what I do? But if you do find joy in work, if you find a job that is joyful and actually animates you, you do so much more and you do, you are passionate about it. If your passion and your work overlaps, that is genuinely something that will produce amazing results. And in medicine, to me, it actually makes some sense. It is an honor to be trusted with the knowledge and information that my patients um, and I share with each other. Honestly, I give, I try to give pieces of my life to them so it doesn't feel one directional you know, when appropriate. And that kind of engagement that that we have with each other can be measured in things like Likert scales, which are like, how engaged are you? Which is, again, if you don't explain what that means, it doesn't, it doesn't um, ring true. But there are, there are easy ways to measure how much do you trust your doctor or your care provider? How much do you uh, respect your boss? So engagement, I think, is an interesting and sometimes useful term. To be the director of provider engagement, all I'm trying to do is really help the, the medical institution called the Cambridge Health Alliance understand what makes us tick. How do we right, get the best out of ourselves? How does the organization help us become our best selves? Because we know that actually medical care is safer, higher quality, and honestly, again, more joyful when you have providers and staff and patients who love being there, have a good experience, feel psychologically safe and and are able to leave hopefully feeling stronger, more centered and more empowered than when they came. So um, are and, you like suggesting that patient engagement, provider engagement, community engagement are sort of like an EKG where you're maybe there's three leads where you're looking at something central from different winds? I I would, yes, I, I think that's a very fair statement. And I might say there's even more, they're closer even than that, because I actually think they're the same. When people know whether, and we don't know with our thinking brain, we know with our, the limbic system it's called, or I call it like the lizard brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we know with our lizard brain, when a place is joyful, when a place, when you feel safe, when a place is, when, a, when people there also feel safe when they enjoy what they're doing when they're you can walk into a place and there's some weird energy in the air and you just know so i would argue that you create a safe joyful community or you don't and all of those three things will sing in this is the same tune but right to slightly change your analogy it's the same song 
but you might all have different parts, right? It should harm it. That I think that maybe feel closer to how I Okay, so let's take this to the the reason that I wanted to um, go to your session, which is about how this engagement, whether it's provider, community, or patient, influence the trajectory of telehealth in this COVID world that we're in? So telehealth, I would say, is just the latest place that I have been doing this work. But I have to say, honestly, hands down, the most fun. I turns out I love IT people, right? They're They're passionate and cerebral. And, and just a joy for me, that's just a joy. I really like smart people. It turns out. And if you have a sense of humor, we're going to get along great. So bringing in all three members of that kind of triad we're outlining is essential. If you're going to be trying to make a place safe for everyone, right? If you're going to make it worth visiting you, it, it's always been one of those truisms, right? Everyone always says you have to involve what they call the end user. And I always, everyone always thinks of the Apple store because they have done such a wonderful job of taking a little rectangle and turning it into an obsession. And they, they had to do that with the people who were using it. I feel like also any phone you buy, not like a cell phone, but like a, a landline phone, clearly had no end user input because I cannot use those things. I cannot figure out the buttons. I can barely, I can barely listen to messages. Like mm-hmm. I am a mess when it comes to landlines now. And I'm old. I had landlines. I had the rotary phones. But anyway, the idea then in healthcare IT, the idea just with televisits was we had literally overnight to say, okay, whoa, stop coming in because no one's safe around anyone else for a short time. Turns out not a short time. And right, we now have to do everything either over the phone or over video. That's a huge project. Fortunately for us, we had already been looking at how do we communicate using our little right rectangle computer, also called a cell phone or a mobile phone, mm-hmm. because we're all obsessed with these things. So we'd already tried to figure out like how can we get how can we get healthcare on that? How can I help you without you having to lose half a day and come to an appointment? Because that has always just felt a little disrespectful to me. And I am going as fast as I can in clinic and I'm never going to get there on time because everybody never ha- doesn't have enough time in the schedule in the first place. <laughs> like I can barely get through how your family's doing in 20 minutes, much less actually what you need to leave feeling more empowered and healthier. So we already had patients by our side. We were already working with them saying, please tell us your experiences, right? When you send an email, what happens? When you call, what happens? How can we get better? How do we improve? And I have to say, people are usually way too nice. You have to pull out of them any negative experiences. So thank you, thank you, human beings, for actually being lovely. But we can, over time, as you develop these relationships, right, they they start to really feel like they can tell you things. Because every time they told you something bad, the only thing that happened was you thanked them and something got better. Or actually, you just thanked them because we couldn't make it better, just to be fully transparent. So when COVID hit, we actually were able to keep those relationships, which had also been virtual. It was so fashion forward. We were so clever, right? Before COVID, we were like, ooh, we're going to do all these meetings just virtual. Because everyone was like, oh, that'll never work. (laughs) 
And of course, now everything's virtual and we're all fine with it. So we had this infrastructure. It was fabulous. We just kept rolling and we said, okay, help. What do we do? How do we communicate with you? What do you, where are you getting information about COVID, right? The world just blew up. No one knew anything. So we very quickly were able to find out where not just the the patients on our IT committee were getting information, where our trusted community partners were getting information. So because, and that's because CHA has for decades, literally reached out to all of the the significant numbers of, um, of people in our community, meaning there's a very large group of patients that come to CHA from Brazil, a very large group of patients that come to CHA from Bangladesh, from Nepal, different parts of India. India is a big place. So we actually have communication with the community agencies that have also come up to try and help people as they change countries and languages and healthcare systems. So we just quickly pivoted and said, okay, what, where are you getting information? How do we help you? It turns out Facebook was a big, so we just started doing sessions on there. CHA has a great Facebook page. If anyone is interested, it's in many languages. If you would like to read about COVID in five different languages, that is the place for you to go. All of those relationships really came, I think, into, into play when we had almost no time to get these things done and were just incredibly useful, right? The most efficient way to design something is to ask the person you're designing it for, which is what we had already had in place. We did actually a pretty good job. We actually wound up doing many of our visits over the telephone because it turns out it's really hard for people to, you know, download an app onto whatever it is they have in a different language. That should have been obvious, but we literally just used the tools that we had. Now we've actually used the same structure and committee and tried to move forward with a kind of video visit where you just push the link and you're boom into the video. Okay. So like a Zoom, but Zoom, actually, you have to usually download an application to get that link to work. This is actually a program where you just push the link and you're in. What I'm hearing is that you already had relationships on different committees in the organization. You had relationships with community organizations and that you leverage those existing relationships into sort of the of the urgency of the day. And, um, yes. And directions. So yeah. again, right. When the world has just blown up, you don't know which direction right. to head. Right. If you at least know who you're heading towards, you can then Right. They can at least, you know, call out. I call out. You can Marco Polo it and try and figure it out, which is exactly what it felt like. It felt a lot like Marco Polo. We'd be like, is that it? And they're like, no, not yet. I'm over here. Oh, am I closer? Yeah, you're closer, but you're not here. Yeah. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Is one of the things that comes up often in talking to people about partnering with patients, caregivers, and communities is, especially when you talk to the patients, the caregivers, and the communities, it's about control. It's about power. It's about a shift in power dynamics, which is hard, really hard. And so what I'm hearing is that Cambridge Health Alliance already had a culture of sharing that power. So you've been there for 20 years. This didn't just happen fully burned. What was the evolution that got to the place 
where the organization was comfortable with that and therefore could take advantage of that culture to manage this disruption. So I think one of the big pieces that we were fortunate to have with us for now decades is that Cambridge is actually, the Cambridge Health Alliance CEO job is actually the same job as the Cambridge Public Health Commissioner. So it's the same work. And what that means is that we have a superpower that most health organizations don't have, which is we literally are responsible for the health of our community as a whole, whether you're our patient or not. And so by definition, and public health, I think people know a little more about public health now from COVID, but actually a lot of COVID didn't get to get directed by public health, which is still shocking to me. Shocking. What an uh, what a missed opportunity in this country, because the whole job of public health is to look at the greater good and to say, what do we do for the people that are, live in this place to make sure that they are happier, healthier, more empowered. And it, it's that kind of invisible work, a little like primary care, right? So if I do my job, nothing happens. You live to right. 90, you're happy, you're healthy, you feel great. You see me every once in a while. That is my definition of success, right? That is never going to get a syndicated TV show. That is right. so boring. Right. And public health is even worse, right? If public health works like you never die of dysentery. It's just, it's all of this series of non-events. We are also a, a multi-specialty organization and we have hospitals and we have ERs and we have th- surgeons and we have thoracic surgeons. We have all the things that you have when things go wrong, but our perspective, our viewpoint is actually comes from the community, not from the medical system. And that makes all the difference. That is huge. Oh my goodness, that's huge. <laughs> Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. All right, let me ask you a different question. The question I was going to ask you was how do you recognize (laughs) success? But I think I'm more interested in how is it that it's not working? Like that, but yeah. So... So let me take that on two different levels, if it's okay with you. So part of why we've always shared power is you come in and I very patiently explain to you that you're a complete mess (laughs) and here's what you have to do. Yeah. And you likely just nod and smile and thank me and go off and do whatever you're going to do anyway. And because you're tied to me in our primary care system, you do come back. Some people make the effort to get away, but it's so much work to change doctors. You never really, like most people don't do it, even if you have to really dislike your doctor to change your doctor. And I say doctor because so many other health professions are not allowed to be PCPs. And and I'm hoping that's changing. I'm hoping that we can let physician assistants, for example, become PCPs soon and, and And there are some nurse practitioners who are, but they're always in a 
supervised within the system. And what will happen is that you'll come again next visit. It'll probably be not be when I asked you to because you're already resentful. And then I will just compound my failure by lecturing you about how bad you are. This is what the medical system has set up as, as great medical care. And that people who genuinely care and people who, who want to make a difference and people, I think, just have a high emotional intelligence quickly realize that this is not the plan. <laughs> this is not going to work. This is not ever going to work. So you know that you failed in the air, right? So the person's body language is collapsed and they're not happy, that you've failed when people are not getting better and, and you're working harder than they are, or you think you are, right? They're not working at all because you haven't helped them change in any way. That is how we know on the individual level, right? On the one-on-one -on -one level that we failed. When we failed in the community, people just don't show up. You can have this wonderful event. You can put so much thought and planning into it. You're so proud of yourself. You're convinced that just like putting in a few more hours of vaccine access, people are going to flood the hospital and then no one comes. <laughs> so they're the flip of each other. Right, right, right. Related. People um, vote with their feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What should we be talking about that we're not? I think your last question has, has leads me naturally towards a feeling of equity and hierarchy and right. I, I, I tend to view the world in structures. I really like structures. I like changing them, but I really like making structures that are flat. I don't like making structures that have a hierarchy. I have no affinity to hierarchy. I find the idea that a single person gets control over an entire organization or a nation or really the opposite of what I think is the most effective way to get the best results in any given system. Not that leadership isn't important, but I think that there are leaders at so many different levels of yes, organizations yes. that you really want to have. What you want is an organization that that calls on the natural leaders, the people who are going to work harder for their internal motivated motivation and let them really shine. And when you don't, those very same people, and this is back to engagement, are actually their biggest critics because they're right. so deeply disrespected and so deeply angry that their brilliance they, is going nowhere. They, they don't want to, no one wants to feel like they're failing all the time. And if you feel like you have a great way to succeed and no one's listening, that is maddening. And that is, that to me is all about equity, right? That is equity, quite frankly. Right? As I'm listening to you talk is that uh, my um, view about leadership, my personal view about leadership, and I've been leader in, in many different venues, is that the first job of a leader is to get crap out of people's way so that they can be leaders themselves. And and so I think that looking at the energy behind engagement, whether it's clinician engagement or patient engagement, community engagement, whatever, is that I, I like that uncovering the leadership wherever it happens and then leveraging that forward, um, which is a, a tricky dance because... 
people have different motivations and different priorities and different expectations and different bosses themselves, whether it's in the family or in the organization. So yeah, the power dynamic. What I would say, Penny, is not to derail you too much, but what one of the things that unites people is a common purpose, right? Yes. And I think people confuse that with, with uniformity. So one of the one of the ways I've seen people become their best selves. And I view my leadership as actually helping, not just getting things out of the way for people. And I think it's interesting you would say that because you're clearly someone who's going to go somewhere no matter, regardless, right? You're either going to have to run them over or people can help get things out of your way. But not everybody is like that. And so my actual personal view of leadership is to help people achieve their goals as long as they're aligned with the common goals that we're all sharing. If you, and so I'll just use some, an example. So many of the providers at my practices have a sort of passion that they, right, that brought them into healthcare. One of, one of my providers has an incredibly well-known nutrition blog, actually, and is incredibly successful at that. And she actually brings that passion into her patient care. So Part of my job is to make sure that part of her that that brought her here in the first place is not destroyed as part of, we're not going to have it be the the Borg and the sameness and right. But now that's nice, but that's not your future. You're going to have to do it this way, right? Other people actually can't do much more than what they're doing for whatever reason in their lives. And so what I want to do then is allow them to have the space to have their life step forward and then have the job actually maybe be a backseat for a while. Because remember, we're in this for the long game, right? And all of the people here, I'm hoping are going to be here for 20, 30 years. So if I need to give you a little space and you're not moving, it's not like I'm getting things out of your way. They can be in your way. You're not going anywhere. You just have to hold your work almost in, in stasis while your life progresses. That's also fine. So to me, it is complicated. Just like you said, it's actually incredibly complicated. And, and the basis of equity is that you give people what they need. You don't give people the same thing because they're not the same. Okay. So if here's how I want to end this, that I think what you just said, if we were going to say that there's three things that we hope our listeners get out of this conversation... I bet that last statement you made about equity, getting people what they need, which is not the same for everybody, is one of them. I'm thinking that the public health view of the organization might be another one. So do you agree with those two? And what one or two would you add to that? So I think I completely agree. I think I might get even a little sillier and say public health and primary care are a superpower. <laughs> right? yes. They're just a silent superpower. And then I would, I think where we started, right, is a deep love and respect for the patients in patient care. That that without that, it's yeah. not actually something worth having. And, and that everyone in the office has a, an important part in that. I, I do often say, we don't know who patients are going to fall in love with, so let them fall in love. Just get, right? This is where yeah. I would say, get out of the way. Yeah, and we've know, had reception. Um it's funny. Um, I, I worked for a while at Boston Children's. I, I led their patient family experience initiative. And one of the things that amazed me is I would spend some time in the lab and there were some phlebotomists, people who are sticking needles in these kids, who were their favorite person. Mm -hmm. And exactly. that just, 
totally exactly that is exactly it me away and and to allow everyone to become that favorite person to someone yeah is joy if and that that is what i hope to to achieve someday i think we're pretty in love with each other at my little cute site at cha and we do genuinely care for each other and our patients. And and I do think we have those moments of grace. And it is difficult to to maintain that even within a a much larger, less friendly medical system. So it does sadly feel a bit like a struggle every day. And you have these just amazing moments that, that, you know, that keep you going. Well, thank you. This has been lovely. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. I, I appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Be well. Thank you. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. It is a pleasure to get to know you better. Thank you for the time. Take care. The challenge of giving a serious nod to engagement is that few of us are prepared for success. Being super engaged in my health means that I'm CEO of my health team and manage myself and my subcontractors well. It means I have a care partner who can step in when I can't, a succession plan. It means that I do everything I can to operate at peak performance, all while I'm sick or disabled. The clinician engaged in their patient's health means that they solicit and accept their patient's expertise and they have the humility to admit how little expertise they have in non-drug, non-surgery treatment, or actually much outside their specialty, like the reality of people's day-to-day life challenges. Increasing community engagement in governance, design, operations, and learning leads inevitably to pressure for transparent priceless before service, seamless transition from one setting or clinician to the next, on-demand self-scheduling, patient and clinician controlled health data sharing, easy, friendly telehealth, access to and payment for non-drug, non-surgery treatments, funding research about outcomes that matter to people, and on and on. Perhaps we need to be more specific about what we mean by engagement and be prepared for what we wish for. Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.